How y'all doing this morning? Okay, how come this isn't turning on? What am I doing wrong, David? I may have to have you do it. There it is. All right. So do you all remember when you were little kids and your parents taught you the magic words that you're supposed to say all the time? And those magic words are please and thank you. And you probably remember, like I do, your parents would force you to say thank you when you didn't want to say thank you. In fact, that was the furthest thing from your mind or even the opposite of what you would really, really like to do. Well, what I want you to understand this morning is that followers of Jesus should live lives overflowing with gratitude. Now, if those of you who have your bulletin notes out, there's a little sentence in there that I call the big idea. And if you hear nothing else and leave with nothing else, that's what I want you to hear. Followers of Jesus should live lives overflowing with gratitude. And there's so many passages of Scripture that call us to be thankful. And I want you to turn your Bibles this morning into Colossians chapter 2. The book of Colossians is a fascinating book for many, many reasons. Paul is writing to address issues of heresy that were attacking the early believers. And he wanted to point them to the realities of who Jesus is and to point them to making their life all about who Jesus is. And his big concern for them as we come to Colossians chapter 2, in fact, I want to back up into the end of Colossians chapter 1, because you all understand that the verses in the chapter divisions were not placed there by the Holy Spirit. I think the chapter divisions and the verse divisions were actually placed by somebody with a Bible in one hand, a pen in the other hand, riding on top of a galloping horse. Because so many times, the decisions that were made about those divisions make no sense to me. And this is one of those places. So I want to back up to verse 28 of chapter 1 and start reading there. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Complete, perfect, mature. That is Paul's ambition (laughs) For these believers in the city of Colossae, that they would grow to maturity, their complete full stature in Christ. That's what he's all about. And he says, for this purpose also, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. That word struggle in the original language sounds like this, agonazo. What does that sound like in English? Agony, exactly. And Paul is saying, what I agonize over is that you would be growing to perfect maturity, completeness in Jesus. This is what drove Paul as he penned this letter, as well as others. This is my agony I have on your behalf for those who are at Laodicea. For all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together 
in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself keeps pointing them. It's all about what? It's all about Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. What is Paul concerned about? Their stability, their maturity in Christ. That's what he's after. And that's why the next word is what? What's the first word of the next verse? Therefore. Therefore, because he's concerned about their maturity, he's concerned about their stability, he's concerned about their growth. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. And in my translation, the next three words say this overflowing with gratitude. Your translation might say something like abounding in thankfulness. But the idea of this word overflowing is what I want you to grab onto this morning. That word has the idea of being in excess, being in abundance. We are overflowing. Now, this isn't working, David. The image that I want you to have in your mind when you hear this word overflowing is a river at flood stage, a river overflowing, a river be over its banks. Paul says you and I in our Christian experience as people of faith in Jesus are not just simply to be grateful. We're to be what? Overflowing. Like a river beyond its banks, overflowing with gratitude. Before we're done, I'm going to ask you two questions. One of the, one, one of the questions is this. Why is it so oftentimes it seems we lack gratitude? Why is it so often we fail to be genuinely thankful? There's probably lots of reasons. We're going to explore, explore that a little bit before we're done. This word that Paul uses to say overflowing appears in two other interesting places in the New Testament. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? And if you're familiar with that story, the prodigal son has left home with his inheritance. He has spent it all on crazy wild living. And the scene I want you to see in your mind is this young man... All of his resources spent, every nickel he took in his inheritance, gone, wasted. And where does he find himself? In a pig pen. A Jewish boy in a pig pen. You got to think about that when you understand, you know, that no pork, you know, that's the furthest thing. He's in the pig pen. What is he doing in the pig pen? Eating what? Corn cobs. So I want you to picture in your mind this young man in a pig pen, all that filth and mud and everything. And I want you to picture in your mind him chewing on the corn cob. 
And the scripture says what? He came to his senses. He came to his senses. And now he has a plan. And his plan is predicated on this thought. And this is what the scripture says. He said to himself, the servants in my father's household have more than they need. I'm going to go home and throw myself on my face before my father and ask him to take me back as a servant. Because his servants have what? More than they need. They have, in our context, an overflow of resources. An overflow, an abundance. And Paul says to you and to me, we ought to be people whose lives are doing what? Overflowing with gratitude. The prodigal son. The other illustration of where this same word of overflowing is used. Remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6? And you remember that great story as Jesus assembled all the people and started breaking those fish and loaves and the disciples are distributing them. And when it was all said and done, everybody was filled and satisfied. What happened next? Sent the disciples out to gather up all the leftovers. And the scripture says in John chapter 6, they filled 12 baskets full. And the idea of filled is those baskets were over. Flowing with fish and bread. By the way, have you ever wondered why there were 12 baskets? 12 disciples. I think each one of those disciples walked away. You know, their, their faith and their trust. But overflowing. You and I, in our walk with Jesus, as people of faith, are expected to live lives Overflowing. Abundance, more than enough gratitude. And I want to think of it this morning this way, because this is the reality. So many of us are like a sponge. Got to squeeze the water out, right? Got to squeeze the gratitude out. And what, what Paul is saying is that you and I should be like this with our gratitude. It should overflow. Instead, oftentimes we're just simply like a sponge. It doesn't come easily. We're not grateful. We need to overflow. I'm going to spill all this if I'm not careful. We need to overflow with thanksgiving. In fact, what strikes me in this passage is the second thought I want you to understand. Not only the meaning of that word overflow, but the second thing is this. Overflowing with gratitude is a mark of maturity. Paul's whole focus in this passage is on people growing to maturity. His whole passage here is addressing stability and maturity in your life with Jesus. And in fact, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, do what? Walk in him. And Paul frequently uses this metaphor, this picture, using the word walk to describe how we're to act and behave in our Christian lives. Earlier in Colossians in chapter one, someday I'm going to preach that passage. It's one of my favorites. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
That is a metaphor, a picture that Paul uses often. He says, you and I are to walk, live our lives in the same way in which we receive Jesus. And it's intriguing to me, because I don't know that I've totally figured this out, but he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, what are the next two words? The Lord. And I think part of what Paul is trying to say is, well, obviously you receive Christ by faith, right? So keep walking by faith. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, his payment for sin. You did that by faith because of God's grace. Continue to act, behave, and live your life that way. But I also wonder, because each word's there for a reason, right? When the Holy Spirit directed the writing of the Scriptures and inspired the text that we have, every word is important. If I wrote you a letter, every word wouldn't be that big of a deal. But I, like to, I pay attention to every word. And it says, it doesn't say, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. It doesn't say that. It says what? As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, the Master. And so what Paul, I think, is kind of maybe subtly or not so subtly saying is that you and I are servants. We have a master. We have a Lord that we're responsible to, responsive to, right? Well, that was enthusiastic. <laughs> and he's saying, as we have received him as Lord, we continue to live and act and behave our lives under his lordship. And then Paul says, and there's kind of a development here that grows out of this, because he uses the, this idea of walking, and then he, the next phrase has to do, put the um, picture back up of, my, uh, of the scripture. He says, therefore you've received Christ Jesus, and then he says, walk in him, and then it's followed by these phrases. Having been rooted when you see the word root, do you think like I do of a big, beautiful oak tree? So what Paul is saying is walk like a tree. Last time you saw a tree walking was when? You know, never. Trees don't walk. But so Paul is kind of taking this metaphor of our walk in our Christian life. And he's talking about having roots. And the verb tense that Paul uses, all the verb tenses here, I'm going to get a little technical for you, but they're all kind of fascinating because the verb tense here, having been rooted, talks about the fact that we have been rooted by God into Christ and it continues. We have been rooted and we continue to be rooted foundation in Christ. And so his progression of thought is, first we've been rooted, and then what's the next phrase? Being built up. And now it shifts from that verb tense of what happened in the past having continuing results, being rooted. Now it's in this continual progressive thing that's going on in my life, and hopefully in your life, of being built up. There's a foundation, and now we're being built up. And what's the next phrase? Established. We're built up and strengthened. Some of your translations might use strengthen there. We're built up and established. All of those verbs are passive. What does that mean? 
What that means is, God is the one who does it. It's not you who is being rooted, it's God who roots you. It's not you are building up, God is building you up. It's not you establishing yourself, it's God doing all of that. Does that make sense? God's the one who does it. Which, when you think about it, that's always the case. Who's responsible for salvation? Jesus. Started in the plan of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. Jesus is the one who died on the cross and made the payment for sin. Who is responsible for the fact that you and I receive the opportunity to put our faith and our trust in Christ? Who's responsible for all that? God is. And that continues to be true as we grow in maturity. God does it. But what's intriguing to me is Paul changes now the verb form from all the passives. And now there's one verb that's active. One verb that is my task. One verb that is your responsibility as we walk like trees. And that responsibility is to do what? Overflow with gratitude. Overflow with gratitude. And I found myself thinking about that. And I thought, you know, if I had written Colossians chapter 2, I might have written it overflow with Love. Wouldn't that be cool? Overflow with patience. Overflow with kindness. Overflow with, what other words come to mind? Mercy. Mercy. That's a good word. Overflow with joy. Overflow with compassion. All, All of those are great ideas. But when Paul talks about maturity and he's praying for these Colossian believers as they grow in their maturity, having put down their roots in Christ, being built up, strengthened and maturing. The one thing he points to is what? Gratitude. Now, I haven't got that all figured out. Why is that? But I think there's a reason. And it might be something for you to think some more upon. Why is it that gratitude is so important? And I wonder if it's possible to love the way God calls you and me to love without being grateful. I wonder if it's possible to experience the joy that God wants us all to embrace and enjoy in life without being grateful. I wonder if it's possible for you and me to extend grace and mercy and compassion and all those words you just shared with me. I wonder if it's possible to do that. Without being grateful. I have a neighbor who has put up this wall. Put up the picture for me, David. Uh, My neighbor's put up this wall just around the block from me. And I think this is maybe the second or third year. They're new move-ins. They've only been in our neighborhood for about three years. But they put up this wall. And uh, you can see it says, Give Thanks. And stop and leave a note. Change the slide for me, David. Um, so their invitation is, and then change again, for people to come and fill out one of these cards and express gratitude in a public forum. And so people walk by, drive by, ride their bikes by, yes. Um, 
And here is this board to give thanks. And one of the things I liked about this is we've been talking a lot over the last couple of years about being intentional. We've talked about being intentional in our worship, being intentional in our giving, being intentional in our love and our witnessing, and the list goes on and on. And so to be intentional to give thanks, not just for it to have to be squeezed out of us, but to be intentional in giving thanks. It is a mark of maturity that we overflow with gratitude. And I want you to see real quickly some examples uh, in the scripture of people who are grateful. Can you think of any illustrations that come to mind as you kind of do a quick overview of passages of Scripture, stories in the Bible of people who were grateful? What's that? Yeah, that's one on my list. So, do you remember the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed? And all ten of them, after Jesus healed them, they all walked away. But one came back. One came back. And, and the scripture expresses it this way. It says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan of all things. And one of the things I find fascinating in that passage isn't so much the fact that he came back and expressed thanks, but there's a little phrase in there that kind of caught my eye as I was reflecting on it again. He gave thanks, how? With a loud voice. Boy, I just woke someone up. I saw a head come up like that. I should have done that sooner. and And I found myself thinking, so often we're pretty tame in our gratitude. We're pretty calm. Here's this, this, can you imagine a guy having this awful disease? Lesions on his skin, skin deteriorating, and in an instant of time, Jesus cleaned him up. He had skin like a baby, right? Grateful, with a loud voice. You think of any other examples of Scripture where people were thankful, grateful? One of, one of the things that came to my mind... And you all remember the story of the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, right? And if you remember the story, the children of Israel under Moses' leadership have left. And they're on their way out of Egypt. And they come to this body of water that they cannot cross, the Red Sea. And so they have to go around, they have to find some path. And now this is complicated by what? Pharaoh decides he's not going to let him go. He gets all of his armies and he's chasing after them. And I can picture this so well, largely because of the movie The Ten Commandments, right? But imagine yourself in this group of people rejoicing, celebrating. We're free. We're out of here. We're gone. And now all of a sudden you're trapped by the Red Sea. The army of the Egyptians is approaching. And your emotional condition is what? Total panic. And Moses follows God's instructions, the Red Sea parts, and they all go across on dry ground, right? 
And after they're across, Pharaoh takes his armies and leads them down there into the path across the sea. And what does God do? It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, The Ten Commandments. (laughs) Of the chariot wheels floating around, you know. But Exodus chapter 15 says this. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. Joyful gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness. Now, granted, if we'd been there, we'd been overflowing with thankfulness too, right? That kind of is above and beyond maybe some of the more common, mundane things that we experience in our day-to-day lives. And yet Paul's challenge to you and me as people of faith is what? Overflow with gratitude. I love the story of Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi. And if you remember the story, they're, they're arrested, their clothes are stripped off of them. They're beaten. They're not only thrown into jail, but they're thrown into the inner jail, the darkest, deepest, dungeony part of the jail, and put in stocks. And while they're there in that depressed situation, that discouraging situation, here they are on a mission for God, doing what God has called them to do, and where do they find themselves? In this dark, rat-infested jail. And they respond by moaning and groaning and complaining. No, that's not how they responded. What did they do? They sang praises to God. And of course, God answered how? Earthquake time. You know, you and I, if we, if we got an earthquake that hits us right now, we're not happy campers. Paul and Silas were happy campers. <laughs> you know? Gratitude. The scriptures call us to overflow. With gratitude. And if gratitude is the mark of maturity, then the mark of immaturity, the mark of instability is what? Grumbling, complaining, lack of gratitude. Now you think back over your last week. Think back over your last seven days. And on this side, expressions of gratitude. On this side, grumbling and complaining. And so often in my life, I'll confess, you know, it probably goes up and down. But there's times when I'm kind of heavy on the grumbling and complaining side. I'm honest. There's a lot of times I'm I'm pretty heavy on the grumbling and complaining side. And Paul says, Roy... What marks the fact that you're maturing, that the roots have gone down, that you're being built up and strengthened and established in your walk with Jesus? What marks that is what? Not just gratitude, but what? Overflowing with gratitude, like a river beyond its banks. Overflowing. With gratitude. So I asked this question a few minutes ago. Ah, before that. Yeah. Um, 
Let's ask this question first. So why, why should our lives overflow with gratitude? Well, because it's a mark of maturity for one thing. But also, as I thought about this, God commands us to be thankful. Gratitude in your life and my life is God's will. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this. In almost everything, give thanks, right? In most things, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God commands us to be grateful. By the way, it doesn't say be grateful for all things. It says what? Be grateful in all things. There's probably things going on in your life this week that you're not particularly thankful for. But what God calls us to is in the midst of whatever the circumstances are, whatever the events in my life, whatever the struggle, whatever the challenge, whether it's physical health, whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whatever it is, in the midst of that, God's call to me and to you is to do what? Be grateful. Give thanks. Give thanks. Um, A second thought, why should I... Be overflowing with thanksgiving um, because it acknowledges the gift that someone gave, whether I'm thankful to God or thankful to people. They've given me time. They've given me service. They've, they've, done, they've added to my life in some way. And the, the, the logical response to that should be what? Thank you. Gratitude. And Paul calls us beyond that to be overflowing with gratitude. Is that a tough call? Overflow with gratitude? Sometimes. Many times, probably. But that's God's call in my life. Why should I be thankful? Why should I overflow with thanksgiving? It's God's will for me. Um, It acknowledges what I've received, either from Him or from others. Um, It also strengthens relationships. I think it strengthens my relationship with God when I am grateful. And it diminishes my relationship with God when I'm not thankful. It, it, it enhances my relationship with you when I'm grateful. Amen. And it, that's how it is. My friend David, all my friends are named David, so whenever I tell my wife, hey, David, David said, I have to back up and clarify my, which David. This David is the service manager at the Hyundai dealer down in National City. And uh, David and I have been friends for, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. And he's been in this job down in National City for three years, three years last month, I think. And in three years, he tells me, I, I would like to believe he's not telling the whole story. But he tells me that in three years, his boss has never once said to him, thank you. And his relationship with his boss, when he and I talk about their relationship, it's not a healthy relationship. And part of it is because his boss has never expressed appreciation for what Dave has done. 
And I listen to Dave telling me stories about how much money he's making each month for the car dealership and how that compares to what they were doing before he was there. Um, anyway, my whole point is gratitude enhances relationships, either vertically with God or horizontally with each other. We need to be people that overflow with gratitude. Um, gratitude, I call it the gift that keeps on giving. Um, it does so many things. When I think of, of how gratitude, I want to tell you a story of how gratitude touched my life in just a very, very strategic way. July 1st, 2009, I was riding my bicycle south part of Laverne, and I don't know what happened because I had a concussion and I have no memory. But when I woke up laying on the side of the street, there were two paramedics standing over me. They had my ID in their hands. They found it in my back pocket of my jersey, and uh, they had my wife on the phone. And uh, they're telling me that I did not know my name. I did not know my phone number, but I did correctly guess my age. (laughs) And so from the fact that I could not answer their questions, they correctly deduced that I had a head injury of some kind. And because of that, they wanted to send me to a trauma hospital The closest one was at USC County Hospital in Los Angeles. The ambulances driven by the police department of the city of Laverne are only allowed to go so many miles. And that didn't include USC County. So the solution was to put me on a helicopter. Well, had the L.A. County helicopter been available, it had just been called out 10 minutes before on a brush fire on the side of the 57 freeway. Had that helicopter been available, I would have gotten a free ride to USC County because we pay 50 cents every month on our water bill to paramedic service in the city. And it's a whole other story about the aircraft that picked me up and took me to USC County called Mercy Air. They are in the air, but there's no mercy. Um, Anyway, long story short, they took me to the emergency room at USC County Hospital. The emergency room doctor held my bicycle helmet in his hands and said to me, you know, this helmet is the difference between you being upstairs in the operating room or here in the emergency room or even downstairs in the morgue. And so they're concerned about my head because my helmet, by my count, had almost 40 separate cracks in it. So they're concerned about my head. And, of course, this is not the highlight of my life, being in a hospital emergency room. I did not yet know that I was going to be charged 17 grand for that helicopter ride. That's another story. Um, So I'm in the ER. I've been in this bike crash. I don't know what the state of my head is. So they decide I probably need one of those scans CAT scan. They took me for a CAT scan. And so they took, put me on a gurney, rolled me down the hallway, put me in the CAT scan room. They scan, scanned my head, and no surprise, they found nothing. Um, but this whole time, I've had my phone in my pocket, and it has no signal. So I can't call my wife. I can't call my daughter. I, I can, I, I'm totally cut off from the world. 
So they shoved me on my gurney out of the CAT scan room, shoved my gurney against the wall on the side of the hallway, and leave me there. <laughs> they just leave me there by myself. Nobody's around, nobody, nobody to talk to, no one to take me back to ER. What is going on? All of a sudden, my phone starts beeping. Beep, 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 beep. And it's downloading uh, emails. This is weird. How come I have a signal all of a sudden? So I had two emails that downloaded on my phone while I'm sitting in the hallway at ER by myself, discouraged, depressed. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And the first email is an email from a bride couple that I had married just the weekend before. Very uh, strongly affirming how wonderful their wedding ceremony was, how grateful she was for all that I did for them. And she went on and on and on. And it's like, wow, how many brides do that? Not very many. Here I am in the hallway and here's this email. The second email was from a young man. Well, he's not young anymore. Um, Carl was in my junior high youth group in the early 1970s. I was junior high youth pastor, 71, 72, part of 73. It's now 2009. How many years is that? Carl sends me this email. I haven't talked to Carl in 40 plus years. Don't know anything about where his life has gone, what he's done since he was in my junior high ministry. And he sends me this email. Dear Pastor Roy, I just you've been on my mind. I've been thinking about you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am for the years that you were my pastor and what you did for me. And, and, and it's like, do you think gratitude had any influence and impact on my life in that moment of time? Gratitude, overflowing with gratitude. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in the life of the one who is giving thanks, and it makes a difference in the life of the one who's receiving thanks. There's probably other reasons why we ought to be overflowing with gratitude, but um, gratitude also encourages repeat action. When you express appreciation, people are more inclined to do again what you've been grateful for. That's probably something for parents to think about as they raise their kids, don't you think? And the other applications. Um, the real question for me as I've thought about this is why don't our lives overflow with thanksgiving? Why is that? Why is it sometimes they don't even flow, let alone overflow? And why is it so many times they don't even flow? They just, you know, it, it doesn't happen. Why is that? Well, one thing I think sometimes we just live lives that are so busy. We just kind of put that on the back burner. Have you ever said to yourself, I'm going to write so and so a note. And then two months later, you realize, gee, I never did that. And now it kind of seems foolish to write a note about something that happened. You know, we live busy lives. It's not it's not a priority. It needs to be a priority. It needs to be an intentional Priority in our lives to express gratitude, to express appreciation. Um, honestly, a second reason, I think, is we take it for granted. Um, either we think we deserve it or it's expected. It's just a normal routine part of life. 
You know, last night I made it a point, my wife may or may not remember, but I made it a point to thank her for dinner. That's kind of a normal, we've been married almost 50 years, so do the math, how many dinners have we had in 50 years, right? And it's just kind of a normal part of life. Probably doesn't, I don't need to say thank you every night, seven days a week, 12 months, right? Wrong. You know, um, we just take stuff for granted. Sometimes we feel thankful and don't say it. That's not good. And I think tragically, a lot of times we don't have models in our lives that express appreciation. And sometimes that's because maybe we grew up in a home where appreciation wasn't a big deal. Our parents didn't express appreciation to us. We didn't hear them expressing appreciation to others. And so if if models are few and far between, what's the solution to that? Be a model. Thank you. Yes. We ought to be models, examples of gratitude, overflowing with thanksgiving. We ought to we just need to do that. We need to learn to accept thanks from others. I find so oftentimes people find it difficult to do that, to just genuinely accept thanks from others. We have this thing we, we do where we find someone has been in the service and we say, thank you for your service. My son hates it when people do that. And I've tried to tell him, just accept it. It's all good, right? You know, don't be bugged by it. You know, I'm no hero, whatever. Hey, people want to express appreciation. Just, just accept it. Have you ever said this when someone says thank you to you? Oh, no big deal. My thing is, because I'm so, so fluent in Spanish, is I say what? De nada. You know, I want to impress them with my, my Spanish skills. <laughs> but we need to accept appreciation as well as freely express appreciation to others. Do it verbally. Write it in a note. What was the last time? Don't raise your hand. What was the last time you wrote a note to somebody saying thank you? You know, we do it in a text message. We do it in an email. And those are all good and convenient. But, you know, there's something special about getting just a simple handwritten note that says, I appreciate what you did. Thank you. Truth time. How often, how often does our pastor receive a note that expresses thanks and appreciation? How often does that happen? I can tell you from my 50 years of experience, not often. Not very often. How often do the people who serve us in our church family, the elders, the worship team, the ushers, people who teach our children, work in the nursery. How often do we take a moment even just to say thank you? But even beyond that, how often do we take time to just write a little note? I appreciate what you do for our church family. I appreciate what you contribute on Sunday morning to our time of worship. How often do we do that? My experience, not very. I wasn't planning to do all that, but I did it anyway. (sighs) 
So we've already done this. But some of you have notes in your hands. You're trying to take notes and trying to figure out what Roy is saying. But I wonder if in this moment of time, if the Lord might bring to your mind one person that you need to express appreciation to. Whether that's verbally, with a note, whatever form, I'll let you choose. But is there one person that God would place in your heart in this moment of time? Write that name down, because if you're like me, you'll forget it in 20 minutes. And then Maggie, I think it was Maggie who asked us earlier to write down five things we're thankful for, or to say, say that to the person sitting next to you. Um, and we did that. But that's not a bad exercise. To take time in this season of Thanksgiving to write down, what are you truly, genuinely grateful for? And whether there's a person that you need to say thank you to, or whether it's the Lord you need to say thank you to. People of faith, people who are living their lives rooted in Jesus, ought to live lives, how? Overflowing with gratitude. And that's my challenge this morning to you as well as to me. Am I living a life overflowing with gratitude? Am I guilty, rather, of having a lot of that grumbling and complaining stuff? Maybe it's time to kind of confess that to the Lord. Forgive me. Help me to be a person of gratitude. Let's make that our prayer this morning. Lord, in our heart of hearts this morning, we confess we, we fail so often to be genuinely grateful. And we certainly fail to overflow with gratitude. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, even in this moment of time, Remind us of what we have in Jesus. If nothing else in this life, if we had no money, if we had no house, if we had no food, and all we had was Jesus, we should be grateful. And so, Lord, make us a people who overflow with gratitude. And I pray that you would indeed bring to our minds this morning even just one person that each one of us needs to express appreciation to. And help us even to find time, carve out time, maybe even this afternoon, just to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper. I'm thankful for, I'm grateful because. Lord, cause us to become people whose lives are overflowing with gratitude. Do that in my life. Do that for each of us as our prayer together, as we ask in Jesus' name.
our risen Lord Jesus. Go this morning with hearts overflowing with gratitude. Go this morning into a world that needs to know our Savior. And perhaps it would be because we are people overflowing with gratitude then they might even be drawn to Him. Lord, help this to be true in our lives today, this week, as our whole nation celebrates Thanksgiving, and sadly so few are really grateful to You. Make us those who are grateful to You as we go into a world that needs to know You and love You. Thank You for doing that in our lives. Thank You for doing that in our world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.